just Saturday's defeat at Grimsby this week. Joe gave us a three-word review, heavy, disjointed and uninspiring. Mark Bertels wished it had been called off. We weren't at it today. It was comfortably our most disappointing performance of the season. Gresty Roadender thought we were miles off the pace and didn't do enough to get anything. James said we got what we deserved, nothing. One big problem was we started with two strikers on the pitch and none on the bench. Trevor Griffiths saw a team whose passing was way off. There was never any control of the game. Rob Murray puts that down to a lack of midfield and too many players under par. We move on from this bad day at the office. Callum says the pitch and our lack of midfield can't be excuses. It was clear after 15 minutes that hoofball wasn't going to work, but we persisted and were second best to Grimsby. Connor agrees and says CBR and Nevitt are not good enough to lump it up to. Graham Miles says you can't argue it was the pitcher's fault. We were outplayed for 70 minutes. Injuries have taken a toll now. Too many poor performances. Graham Pearson agrees with that, saying it was a tired performance and the injury situation tells you why. Jay Hodson says the last away game we dominated was Crawley away. If you want to make the playoffs, then you can't always depend on being lucky. Simon Grocutt says Grimsby deserved the win because they adapted to the conditions better. It was a poor performance, but nothing to stress about. Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Railway Men podcast. We've got two games to cover from Saturday, sort of. Uh, the main one being the defeat at Grimsby, but we'll have a little chat about the Youth Cup game away at Arsenal that happened after that game. Uh, to do that, I need a panel. Today's are Alex Arani. Hello, Alex. Hello, Stu. How are we doing? Good, thank you. Welcome back. Um, Darren Stevens. Hello, Darren. Hello, thanks for having me back. Not a problem. And debutant Adam Turner. Hello, Adam. Hi, students. Uh, thank you for having me on. Not a problem. Uh, now, we've heard quite a lot of your, well, we read quite a lot of your thoughts in on the website, but first time on the podcast. So you know what that means. What are your crew credentials? Crew credentials. So I started coming, uh, actually, my first ever game was Wembley, um, when we, Gareth Wally missed his, uh, missed his famous penalty. Probably my second game was Sean Smith um, getting the winning goal at Wembley. So I tended to think that crew being at Wembley was a, a normal, normal thing. Um, and I started coming regularly in the 90s, so the days of Mark Rivers, Colin Little, um, the promotion years into the championship. I think uh, my peak time was around the Dean Ashton and uh, Rob Hulse years. I think every, anyone who was around for those years remember those remembers those years, years particularly fondly. That's the same with me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can only dream of those these days. <laughs> Favourite player? Uh, it's got to be Dean Ashton. That's a boring answer, but uh, I've never seen a better player. Probably a special mention for Rob Hulse as well, his uh, partner in crime. All right, good stuff. Um, let's move on to Saturday's game then. Alex, I started off last week's podcast by saying Tuesday nights away at Sutton in December. It doesn't get better than that. How does Saturday afternoons in a waterlogged Grimsby in December compare? compare? In the name, isn't it? Grimsby. It was just horrible. It was blowing a gale. It was chucking it down. 
it was only obviously there was the pitch inspection at 11 o'clock and I got an early train so it was only when I was sort of going past you know Retford way and I looked to the right you just saw fields were just flooded at one stage I was like is that is that like a lake or is that meant to be a field and I thought are we going to be in a bit of trouble here and then the next minute, the pitch inspection uh, gone round. I mean, that gave us a bit of excitement, didn't it? 11 o'clock became 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock became 1 o'clock. Frantically checking the phone. I enjoyed people who weren't at the game moaning at Twitter about the fans going to the game, being treated badly. It, you go to a foot, you take the risk. If you know, it's a game in December. There's every chance that it could get called off because of some inclement weather. You know what you're letting yourself in for. If it gets called off at 10 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, your Saturday's ruined either way. So it doesn't make much of a difference as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it was horrid. It was it was horrible. And you could see, we went to Grimsby. I think last time I went to Grimsby was last game of the season when there was some um, some strange weather. It was really windy that day. And I think there was the odd heavy shower, but it wasn't as constant as it was. But to be fair, come 2 o'clock, it stopped and it stayed dry. Darren, um... Whilst Alex was having a great time talking about how many pitch inspections he wanted before the game was uh, going to take place, you look like you're having a very different time in Grimsby. You see you're, the pictures I saw, you were talking into the fish supper that the club had put on for people. I don't know what, what section it was, but yeah, you look like you're having a nice time out of the wet. Well, yeah, because I actually went yesterday with a friend of mine who's been visiting from Spain. He's a Atletico Madrid uh, fan, so it was a good opportunity for him to see some proper, proper football. And um, because where, where did you take him to watch the proper football? Because uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I told him I was taking him to, and and I meant it as well. Um, but because it was, you know, he he was visiting, and uh, I actually live not far from. Grimsby in East Yorkshire so it was a fairly fairly local game for me and obviously I'm aware that that Grimsby is known very much for fish and I have I have had very good fish and chips in uh, in Grimsby before so I'd actually recommend there's a there's um it's called the McMenemy Suite at Blundell Park and uh, it's named after Laurie McMenemy legendary Southampton manager from the 1980s because he was the manager at Grimsby and they do their bronze package you just pay 20 quid for this absolutely fantastic haddock, of course, after the Icelandic cod wars. So haddock and chips uh, with bread and butter and a cup of tea. And it's a lovely setting. It's unlike Alex. I love going to Grimsby. I think it's got fantastic character. It's a quirky ground. The people are incredibly friendly. Um, and I had a great time. And I actually arrived um, about 12 o'clock. And because we were overlooking the pitch, um, I was seeing all the, um, you know, the work going on uh, to try and get the ground, the pitch ready. And I think what's happened is I saw some of the pitches that other people had taken at 12 o'clock and the pitch was waterlogged, but it actually stopped raining. I mean, as we were driving over, it wasn't raining and that's what saved it. So it gave them a couple of hours to rescue the pitch. And just one final thing, I think Alex is absolutely right that I think Grimsby and the referee and everybody deserves credit for trying to get that game on. Because what happens, of course, is it's that horrible dilemma. Call it off too late. And everybody on Twitter says, why did you call it off so late? You call it off early and then it stops raining. And people say, well, you should, it stopped raining. Why did you call a lot of credit for a bit of bravery, really, in trying to get the game on? And so I, I think that was a, a credit to that. And Alex is right. You, you go to football in the winter and you take a little bit of a risk, don't you? And it's just part of being a football supporter. It happens sometimes. Um, but they deserve a lot of credit for getting that match on. Did you ever think, obviously you were there at 12 o'clock in the ground, 
Where was your money when they did the second pitch inspection? Well, I, I, I arrived just after the 12 o'clock one, but way yeah. before the one o'clock one. And to me, there was absolutely no doubt that the game was on. I didn't even I didn't even check my phone after that um, because you didn't need to. When you were there, you knew it was on because as long as it didn't rain, the pitch was fine. Um, so there was never any doubt, I think, from about quarter past 12 um, onwards, as long as it didn't rain again. And the forecast was improving. Okay. Um, we are about five or ten minutes into this podcast now, um, and we've talked about fish and chips and the weather. Depending on how much producer Dave uh, decides to keep in and how much he decides to cut out, we probably should get on to the football match. But I think it's probably an indication that we don't really want to. Uh, and that's why we're talking about fish and chips and the weather. Adam, normally I like to set up new people on the podcast with nice, easy questions, uh, such as that was a good goal or he's a good player, isn't he? Today, uh, it's a little bit different. I'm going to ask you, did you expect this Crewalex team to do an homage to their former manager by putting in a performance that was reminiscent of his last season uh, on Saturday? I made some notes and um, I put exactly the same thing. It looked like a David Artel crew team. It didn't look like a Lee Bell crew team. We've not always played the best football under Lee Bell. We haven't necessarily got the most talented players under Lee Bell. What we have is the players who will run harder, they'll run for longer, they'll, run, they'll um, battle other teams. And they look like a top-end League Two team as a result of these qualities. And this is a lot of this is down to Lee Bell and the coaching staff. And Saturday was different. Um, a very different situation. It looked like a David Artel team. It looked like the team who were being out, outfought. We're not running as hard. We're not closing down. And um, we did have, and I think he was summed up best when Callum Ainley came on. And Callum Ainley could have been probably playing in our team from 1 to 11 yesterday from his type of style and what we do um, as a team ourselves, yes, on Saturday. Alex, can we uh, can we blame the injuries? Can we blame the pitch or is this just a poor day at the office? Um, I mean, the injuries don't help. Um, I do think he got the... St- I think the 11 he had on the pitch was all he could do, but I don't think the setup was right. He started out of BC in midfield um, and he just... and Which meant... I mean, he was playing left back then. I can't even remember. But he had Rio in midfield. Oh, Mickey was then sort of left back. Thank you, pardon. Yes, Billington was playing left wing back and it just didn't look right. So then he made the change and we looked slightly better because I felt like Offord could at least put his foot on the ball. But we were we were terrible. We, we were dreadful. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no two ways about it. And I think it is, I do, it's, it's easy to criticise the players, but they're humans. And what I mean by that is if you're at work and you think you're going to get a half day or whatever, you do switch off. So when they've got an 11 o'clock pitch inspection, a 12 o'clock pitch inspection, a one o'clock pitch inspection, it must be quite difficult because mentally you're preparing yourself for the game to be off. So they clearly not didn't have the capacity to flick the switch to go, right, actually it's on now. You've got to motivate yourself to do it. It's a bit like, and I, and I do it when, when we play cricket in the summer and you can see the clouds are coming and you're sort of waiting there for the rain. And then if you've got to actually play, you're like, I've got to play a game of cricket here. You've got, you've got to switch on. Now I know they're professional sportsmen, so it's obviously going to be different to amateurs. But they're still human. So I can imagine it's just a struggle to sort of switch, uh, flick the switch. Um, but they certainly did it. I don't think anyone can really come out of the performance with any credit. Um, Grimsby adapted to the conditions better. I think that was clear. I don't think we dealt with the wind particularly well. In front of the dugout, the ball didn't roll out. Um, and they sort of couldn't get their heads around that, which meant they were under-hitting passes. It was just, it was a poor performance um, compounded by, by injuries and some, and some horrible weather. 
Darren, when you look at the midfield crew should have or could have in Jack Powell, Joel Taberner, Joe White, and then you look at the midfield we did have starting the game in Connor Thomas and Luke Offord, you can sort of accept, and especially with the pitch playing the way it did as well, you can accept that Lee Bell, uh, his tactics is, let's just get up to Baker Richardson and Elliot Nevert. But it quickly became clear to me, and I'm sure to everybody else, that it just wasn't working. Grimsby would have that all day, every day, if they could. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Lee Bell sort of said much the same, didn't he, in his, in his after-match um, interview. And I think they did try and change what they were doing after about 20 or 25 minutes. And I know a lot of supporters have said on Twitter and elsewhere that that was a reflection that the, the management team perhaps got it got it wrong at the from the start of the game. Um, I think what worried me most was, in a way, was the fact that a lot of the things that have characterised all the good things about Crewe were kind of missing yesterday. And I, I mentioned earlier, I went with a friend who's only watched Crew once before and I was sort of bigging up Crew this season and saying how well it had gone. And I emphasised the point that Graham McGarry made to you, Stuart, on, on the podcast about the number one thing being togetherness. And I, I thought a lot of that, you know, the energy, the determination, the the uh, togetherness, if you just watch that game in isolation, I think it was missing. However, I think somebody commented on Twitter that, you know, it's acceptable to lose the occasional football match. I think that's true. Probably not in that way, which I think is what Lee Bell said afterwards. I think Alex makes some good points. I was wondering about that even ahead of the game, the psychology of perhaps expecting the game to be off. But then again, that might have been the same for Grimsby. Um, so I, I'm willing, I think how we interpret yesterday or Saturday, sorry, depends on what happens next. I'm hoping it's a one-off sort of blip. Uh, human beings, as Alex said, we shouldn't probably over-interpret it, but it was a very bad day at the office and a lot of the things that have got us where we've got to this season were kind of missing, I thought. What I will say, we, we've done well after a defeat. I remember the um, we obviously lost to Bradford, we bounced back, we beat MK Dons. Uh, Salford game we lost, week later we turned over Tranmere. Um, the recent... Uh, who did we lose to? Uh, Stockport, when we lost to Stockport. And then on the Saturday, we got we grounded out a result at Harrogate. So the bounce-back ability has been good this season. I think it's important that, that we that we do bounce back on Tuesday. Not necessarily, you know, Bristol Rovers are a League One side. They'll probably be favourites to win the tie. But we just got to put in a better performance. We've got to put our best foot forward. And that's what we didn't do yesterday. So I think it's important that we get back on the wagon. I think it's good to have a game on Tuesday. I think you can get straight back into it. You can put Saturday behind you. And then hopefully um, players can get a bit of a rocket. Because I think they, I think they deserved a bit of a rocket actually, because it was, it was, it was, it was poor yesterday, um, and hopefully they can, they can at least put up a better fight, because it was lacking. And even when we got the late goal, did anyone really think we were going to equalise? It didn't feel like it. We didn't build up any pressure. We felt like we were just going through the motions. And yeah. the, the feeling is that we're going through bad form at the moment. But if you look at the form table, we're sixth, I think, in the form table. So we're actually doing a lot better than it, maybe it feels. The last couple, and you can also add in the uh, derby, the two derby results in there: mm -hmm. a draw to derby and a victory away to derby. So form-wise, we're actually doing pretty well. But I think, and we'll come to that I guess later. But the Accrington game is going to be a big key point in terms of our form. Are we going? Are we carrying on the upward trend, or have we actually hit a blip? And I think it'll probably come down to that. Yeah, I think what was disappointing for me was I didn't think we were very good against Sutton. Uh, Tuesday a couple of weeks ago and then obviously this is the next game we've been able to play since so I was expecting a little bit better you know we had 10 days to prepare for this game and they looked very leggy 
mm. uh, a point someone made online, um, possibly for the intro, was this is probably a result of the injuries in the fact that these players that were playing aren't the ones who've been out injured. But because of that, they have been playing almost all of the games, all of the minutes. So it was possibly a tired performance on a heavy pitch yesterday. I don't know if that is something that we agree with. I think there's an element of that. But again, 10 days is a long time not to have a game of football. They're professional athletes. They 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 shouldn't have been tired. They shouldn't have been leggy. It is a fair point that the players that we've got on the pitch has pretty much played every minute of every game. You look at Dimitriou, you look at Adebisi, you look at Offord. I know O'Reardon didn't start the season in the team, but sort of since September, he's been an ever-present. Um, Thomas has been in and out, but in the past few weeks, he's, he's pretty much played every minute. And he came back from an injury and had to get straight into it. Um, and then Baker, Richardson and Nevitt have sort of been there or thereabouts all season. So you, it's the core that's done a lot of the heavy lifting. So I do get that. But 10 days is a long time. Um, I think they've just got to admit that they weren't at the races yesterday for whatever reason. And the impetus is on them to put that round Tuesday night. Yeah, I think I think the truth is we don't know if that's the reason. Because sometimes, ironically, when you have that kind of gap, you think that's going to be good because it's a break. Um, it's a time to rest. But we've actually had two of those periods recently. Do you remember when the, before this, this, little, this little break, after last week's postponement, there was another... 10-day period about three or four weeks ago. Some of the players went away, I think. Um, and sometimes teams don't always perform as well when, they, when they've had that break because you lose the momentum, etc. So I don't think we really know, but they did look tired. They did look leggy, but they haven't played for 10 days. So, you know, it seems a bit of an odd excuse, really. I saw it a bit different. I saw it more as a tactical issue. So we had the amount of time Tracy would run at a defender and not get past it because the pitch just wasn't conducive to running past the player. You couldn't do it on that pitch. Um, the those, the aerial balls are not a bad route. We've got such a good aerial team. We've got Connor Reardon. We've got Mickey. We've got um, the two strikers. We've got so many players. But Rio Adebisi, everybody, lots of players, probably since um, the Steve McCauley, Rob Hulse days, that we've been as good at heading the ball. But all the balls were direct. They were just lumped up front. They weren't even to the players. They were poorly hit. What we needed was more of those kind of getting behind and cross it to the um, to uh, more old school. The pitch was an old school pitch. We needed to play maybe more old fashioned football. And we conceded the first goal from the intricacy and from playing around too much around the back and just not being clever. Whereas Grimsby were very clever with what they did. They would only run if there was space to run into. They would be quite um, simple in their football. It wasn't complicated football. And I think actually that helped them and they gave them a lot more possession, especially in the first half before we had the players come on who could make a difference in that way. I think for as bad as we were, I actually thought Grimsby was set up quite well. I thought they played the conditions better, but actually I didn't think they were a bad side. Uh, you can see Artel's beginning, you know, he had them pressing higher, they're looking to knock it around, but they then played the conditions more than actually this is a style he wants to implement. So I think you've got to give Grimsby some credit, but it doesn't excuse the performance we put in. And I don't think the setup was right. That He's tried this. Nevitt and Baker Richardson, they don't seem to work when they play up front together. I know they both scored against Derby and obviously Baker Richardson got the goal against Sutton. But it's almost like when they play up front alone, they really lead the line. They put themselves around, they get around the pitch. It almost feels like when they play together, they're both looking at each other to say, you can do the you can do the donkey work and neither of them ends up doing it. It's like when they're up front and it's just themselves, they feel compelled to do it. But as soon as they've got a partner, they seem to be less compelled for whatever reason. That's what it seems like. And then you end up shoehorning Shiloh Tracy into the 10 He's not a 10. He's a wide man. 
He wants to get the ball at his feet and he wants to run at defenders. He's not there to pick up spaces, to, to thread balls through. It's not his game. You want to get him on the wing. You want to isolate him against a fullback because nine times out of ten in this league, and the one time he won't is Ethan Pye, he'll run past the fullback. So we've got to do that more often. So if you've got Nevitt and Baker Richardson, I think you've got to stick Nevitt wide left and say, you're going to have to just, you just have to, have to do a job for the team. Or one of them starts on the bench and you give Aaron Rowe a run out. I just I can't. I, both don't work together. I was a little confused with that, Alex. It's a good point you make, but I seem to remember after the Sutton game, listening to Lee Bell saying, well, it didn't really work. We had to put Never out on the left and put Tracy on the right and having the two with them up front with uh, Shadow Tracy behind them wasn't working. I'm sure I've heard him say this three or four times this season and he keeps going back to it. And, you know, anyone that listens to me every week will know I'm as big a fan of Lee Bell as crew manager as it can be, but he just seems to keep be persisting with this tactic. And I don't think it works. I, it definitely doesn't work for Tracy. And I agree. I don't think that they work well together. I think it's one or the other or one out wide. Or, like you say, Tracy and Rowe on the wing and then one comes on for the other one halfway through the get say, or halfway through the second half. And, and I like having the option of one of them on the bench. I think Nevitt's more impactful off the bench. I think Baker Richardson's a better starter. So I'd probably lean that way. But if you're one up, you can then bring a fresh striker up front to potentially run the centre-offs. Um, if, you're, if you're trailing or you're level, you've got a striker to bring on to potentially get you a goal to win the game. So I just, I'm just struggling with it a bit. It's almost like he feels like, well, Nevitt, you know, Nevitt's got goals. Baker Richardson's got goals. Let's get them both in the side. But I think sometimes you've got to cut your cloth accordingly. Um, and it's just not, it's just not working. And I don't know, I mean, they don't seem to rate Aaron Rowe, do they? Um, which I'm not, I think there's a player there. Uh, and I think we saw, you know, glimpses of it against Derby. When he joined the MK Dons assist was a good bit of composure and skill. They just can't seem to get it out of him or they don't trust him for whatever reason. So I'm not sure what, what you're doing with him. Because his loan's up in Jan, I think. Is, is it one that's going to go back and potentially get another wide player? Was he here to the end of the season, actually? I think, I think he's here till the end of the season. I think one of the things is, is the reliance on the wing-backs. So your wing-backs have to be really on form if you've got two strikers, because they're the ones creating the opportunities. Oh. And on Saturday, we had um, one wing-back, which was struggling maybe one game too, too much at the moment for, for him. And the other wing-back, which is, especially in the first half, was really off form. Uh, picked up a bit in the second half, but had a really poor, poor game overall. And if and they were being pushed back by the wingers, and they were losing those battles time and time again. So it isolates your strikers in that situation. And then we had, like we said, we had Tracy behind who was just running, who isn't a creative player. And then you stuck with Luke Offord and Rio Adibisi in central field trying to create opportunities, and they're not going to be able to create. So you, you're completely lacking anything creative. I wondered about uh, Charlie Colkett. If Charlie Colkett couldn't get into that midfield hmm. on Saturday, when is Charlie Colkett ever going to get into a crew midfield? They clearly don't rate him. There's going to be a mutual termination come January, I think, or if they can get him out on loan where someone can cover his wages, they'll, they'll look to do that. But like you said, I, if he's I not... I think it's if, a trust, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't think everyone goes on trusting his body. At this stage, you may as well play him. If he breaks down, he breaks down. You're not using him anyway. So why does it matter if he breaks down? And I thought, it's, um, I thought it's interesting because Joe White was available for 45 minutes. So if you don't trust Charlie Colkett for 90 minutes, you've got a perfect first half player in Charlie Colkett, potentially and a second half player in Joe White. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the best articles Russ has written for the website, that one, I think. Adam, I do agree as well with what you've just said there about the wing-backs. I think, uh, whilst I don't think anyone played very well yesterday, I think that's where the game was lost. Uh, we haven't talked about the Grimsby goals, but the first one, 
I was so annoyed because they'd done it about three or four times, but at this point they'd taken a short corner and no one from crew had bothered to track her or trot over. Uh, I think we had one up against three at one point. Um, we were just absolutely begging for them to take a shot like that, weren't we, Darren? We were. It was it was awful. And it's even worse, actually, when you watch it back, which I've, which I've done this morning, because it's exactly as you say, Stuart, there was a corner on the left side. And if you if you look, there's one Grimsby player that goes sort of short near the byline. Um, but there's no... Tracy is ambling over. Uh, but normally, if, you, if it looks like um, a team is going to take a short corner against you, you should have people sprinting out. We didn't. I mean, we only had one player ambling out, Tracy. Didn't go to him. Another player came short, the the, original, the eventual goal scorer, but on the angle, and it was played to him. And even then, I didn't think Tracy made a good enough effort to, to close down. Uh, and when he did try and block it, he actually turned his back on it. And I, I'm not a coach, but I think that's the wrong way to try and block. He actually turned his back on it and stuck his right leg out across. And then um, Icer, I think it is, um, just curled it in with his right foot and... I know there's been a big debate about the goalkeeper, which we'll probably get on to in a minute. And it flew in the uh, top corner. Uh, no, not for me this week. I I know that people have blamed him, but, you know, we, we do go in quite hard on the goalkeepers. But he's he's got to expect his other players to help him out a little bit more than that for that one and the second one. Um, just for context as well, Moise has done this before this season for Grimsby. It's not like, you know, I know that Ryan Dicker and Lee Bell spend a lot of time preparing the team for the opposition. Someone's got to have said he can hit it from distance. He's done this before. Close him down. It's not rocket science. Yeah, agreed. I, I I disagree on the goalkeeper point, but I agree with the sentiment. There was a lot that went on before the shot got off that we should have done better with. I completely agree with that. But... Does he ever save a long-range shot? I wasn't... It, it wasn't... He didn't smash it in. It wasn't yeah. like it was a, a thunderbolt that he couldn't get near. He just went late, I thought. And I looked back on it, and I know ITV have tweeted out, and it's like a... He did it with, like, his instep, so it's not like he's put his laces through it and rifled it into the top corner. He's just sort of... Cur- yeah. tried, to, tried to curl it in. It, I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah, the only thing I say, Alex, is, and I, 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 I've watched you back several times, and I don't know whether the goalkeeper could have done but I mean, I used to be a goalkeeper. And you know that kind of save where it was a kind of Peter Shilton one, where when the ball's going to your left, you come over with your right hand, um, the, the upper hand, and you, you push it round. Yeah. And I was trying to work out whether there, I think there probably was an opportunity to do that. The only thing I'd say is, though, I think we're distracting ourselves if we're concentrating on the goalkeeper with this goal. That wasn't the root cause of what went wrong yesterday, and it wasn't the fundamental problem with that goal. The problem was it, the goal epitomised all the things that were wrong with the with the performance because no closing down, lethargic, no energy, and okay, he might have saved it, but I don't think that was the root cause. We we'd seen that corner routine two or three times before, as like mentioned Stuart, in terms of. Um... We, we, you know, you could watch that corner routine. You knew what was going to happen in the corner routine because we all had seen it. Yet we had, it looked like everybody had a position that they'd been told to take in the penalty box and no one wanted to take responsibility even to tell somebody else to go and close down or to do it themselves because they wanted to not be blamed for any mistake that would happen. And I think that was a big issue was that um, it just needed someone on the pitch to say, you know, second player, you move away from there and walk over to the corner flag. And I think that goal would have been prevented. I think we wouldn't have been talking about the keeper. We'd have been 
they'd have crafted in, we'd have caught it and we'd have carried on with the game. Yeah, and that is disappointing because we have got leaders in this squad these days, you know, uh, players that we've got who are there. The the annoying thing was, I thought it was quite similar as the second goal as well. Obviously, it wasn't from a corner, it was from open play, but we seem to give the guy who got the cross in about 10 minutes to just pick his spot. No one's closing anything down. And again, I just, I feel that that was the weak spot yesterday for crew and Grimsby exposed it and, uh, you know, capitalised twice. <laughs> I mean, where do you start with the second goal? It was rank bad. I, I, I must admit, I did watch it on a television in Scotty's bar in the in the away end, so I didn't see it in the flesh, which probably meant I had a better view on it on camera. But there was just a lack of desire across the pitch with that goal. No one wanted to really get close. He seemed to have all the time in the world to put the cross in. The goalkeeping again is questionable. His starting position looked wrong. That the cross somehow took him out of the game. It felt like. He was too close to his near post, which meant the ball could go over him. If he had a deeper starting position, would he have then been in a position to either claim the cross or potentially be influenced getting the save? Um, but again, I'm not going to zone in on the keeper, although I have twice. Um, but there was a lot that there was a lot that went wrong before it got to him. Um, so it was just it was just rank bad. Um, and again, if you'd have got out of that just on the stroke of half time, if you get in at half time one nil. All right, we've been poor, but it's one nil. You're not. It, it's it. It's not a mountain to climb. As soon as it goes to two nil, you're like it's not an individual mistake. Now gets us back in the game. Doesn't get us level in the game. So you just it's just that extra step that we didn't need to put in there. So if we could have somehow just got out of that first half, kept our heads above the water at one nil, we might have had a chance. But I, you know, I did say with the utmost confidence at half time, there is no chance we're scoring two goals today, um, and that proved to be the case, unfortunately. It was a problem with the wing-backs again, Cooney and Billington. It was far too easy for Cooney. He just didn't really put the legs in that he should have done. And then Billington, in experience, maybe got um, the better of him, but he just got beaten too easily. He really should have at least been putting shoulder to shoulder with a person who got contact. He was too far away, really, when the cross went in. I do think he was too far away, that one, from the keeper. I wouldn't put any blame on the keeper at all for that one. The first one's questionable. The second one, I'm not sure. I think it's definitely the wing-backs who were at fault that goal. Yeah, I agree I agree with Adam. There's no way on earth the goalkeeper's responsible for that second goal. Uh because the header was the header was um into the ground, bounced up into the roof of the net. I know Alex is um is talking about the starting position, but no. Uh but you know, you're right. It was uh, when when Bell did the interview afterwards he talked about a free header. And when you listen to the commentary that was Graham McCarry's immediate reaction. So the problem there was the mark what well, one of the problems was the marking at the back post. From Billington, he had a free header raise, um, as well as what went on before it. So uh, I think I think we've got to stop talking about the goalkeeper in this way, even about goals that he has absolutely no responsibility for whatsoever, including that one. I just I, I don't know if you remember at the start of the year, Chelsea played Fulham, and Carlos Vinicius scored a goal similar to that, where a cross came in and the goalkeeper just Kepper was in goal for Chelsea, and he just got got caught in a really bad position. No one's really spoken about the goalkeeper being at fault for that goal. But you look at it and it just doesn't look right. It just felt like even looking at that, it was like, how has that ball gone to where it was and the goalkeeper's not in a position to influence it at all? And I'm not saying that the starting position, I'm not, I'm not saying you should make the save once the header's gone in. It's what's gone before that, that it's gone to the header. Now, if he is starting position differently, does he get a chance to make the save? Because I don't know. I'm just, I just, it just doesn't look right. It didn't feel right. And don't get me wrong, again, 
Billington should do better with the, with the man. He should be tighter. The cross should have been blocked. In the, they should have done more desire to stop the cross going in the box. I get all of that. But when a goal is scored, you always look at your goalkeeper because he's the last line that it goes past before it hits the back of the net. So that's why I'm just, just asking the question. I'm not going to... Derby at home, I'll pillage him for the one that he chucked in. Those two, there was enough to go wrong, but I just think it, it was worth a debate, which is why I've just, I'm, 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 I'm making the point. All right, let's move on. Uh, we're still in the first half, uh, bizarrely, from a game that none of us really wanted to talk about. Uh, we're still in the first half at the moment. Uh, the second half, um, I think it's best summed up for my part in um, during the relegation season, I had to fight the urge quite hard to pick my phone up during some of those games. Um, I haven't really had to do that this year. Yesterday, it was a real temptation to see what else was going on in the football world. Um, that essentially sums up my view of the second half until the 77th minute, at least. But even then, Alex, I sort of see your point earlier about not really having too much faith in getting that goal. Is that the same for you guys? Were you sort of emotionally invested in that second half or you'd start to think about your journey home or what you're having for dinner? No, I felt, I felt broadly the same. The only thing is, because of what's happened this season, um, I felt similarly at Wimbledon, you know, and possibly at Swindon. You know, I was at both of those games, and at half time at Wimbledon, we were 2 0 down and we'd been completely outplayed. And there's no way on earth anybody would have thought that we'd end up getting a point out of that game. Um, so it was it was completely irrational. Um, just based on sort of what we've what's gone before, there was that kind of hope. No, no reason for it. Um, and when we got that goal, there was actually enough time. And I, I, I when I was watching it back a little bit this morning, uh, I think on the commentary. I think it was either Peter Morse or Graham McGarry said, um, well, whatever's gone before for the last 77 minutes doesn't matter. It's the next 13 minutes that matter. And if we had scored a second goal, um, we probably would have been having a different conversation and we'd be talking about uh, resilience when we're not playing well and everything else and how we've made another great comeback. There was no sign of it. And actually, the last 13 minutes were really disappointing. Um, the friend I was watching with said it was much more likely to be 3-1 than 2-2. Um, and I think that, that was, was it. That basically, summed it up. That was <clears> it. It was such a damp squib. When you get that right, you've got a goal two one within the last fifteen minutes. Get up the head of steam. Let's have a right old go. We didn't. It was like the weather it was damp. Um, yeah. So it was. It was. It was really underwhelming. And I think I, I do take your point about the Swindon and Wimbledon game. I think the difference was we looked at the options that we had on the bench. It's threadbare, isn't it? You don't feel like you've got anything to do it. With Wimbledon, we were bringing Nevitt on. You had Tabner yeah. and Powell playing. You brought on Aaron Rowe when they still fancied him a bit. So you had different options that sort of gave you that belief. But yesterday, you're looking at it and, all right, Joe White came on at half time. But as soon as Joe White was on, I was like, we've got Aaron Rowe left to bring on here. That's it. Who's going to change the game? And you're relying on the players that have sort of moped around for 45 minutes to all of a sudden be sprung into life. And I know what no one really did. Did, did really get going. So, yeah, it was disappointing. Because like, like you said, you never know, do you? 77 minutes. Right, here we go. They're going to... Because they haven't won in a while. They're 20th in the league. Arsenal hadn't won in that game yet. It was a perfect time to play on their nerves and we did nothing of the sort. I think that was the problem for me was it was actually after the goal went in, that nothing happened. And it, uh, Jay White talked about them not being uh, brave enough on the ball. And I don't think it was the case today. I think it was... The conditions weren't there to have clever football, to be to do pretty patterns, to do lots of skillful. What we needed to do in the 77th minute was get the ball wide, get the ball into the box, 
and you've got to put Conor O'Reardon up top and just go for it. Just try to get the victory. Um, they were weak in the air defensively. We had we could have got more chances defensively. We could have taken more opportunities from set pieces or um, these types of opportunities. And I think given the weather, I think that was where the route came from. And we never really did it. We kind of just passed around and never really went anywhere. And then and that was it. That was the most disappointing thing for me. Yeah, let's come to a close um, with the Grimsby game and put that to bed. A couple of things for me to end on a positive. Um, I'll let you, Alex and Darren, answer one of these each. Uh, firstly, it was a nice goal, wasn't it? Uh, secondly, White and Williams on at half-time. It's nice to see players returning to the uh, to the first-team squad again. Uh, Alex, which one of those do you want to comment on? Uh, the returnees. Um, hopefully, White hasn't aggravated anything and it'll be good to go Tuesday. And it was good to see Zach Williams back. I mean, it was quite ironic because the Harrogate game, when he did his ankle, we lost Habener to injury and Long to injury that day. Long and Tabiner wasn't meant to be longer ter- long-term and, and Williams has actually ended up coming back before the two of them, which is sort of a bit disappointing because I think I think we're missing Tabiner in midfield because a lot of the impetus has been on Joe White over these past few weeks. And to be fair to him, he has stepped up, um, but it is a lot on his shoulders to carry that burden. So I think we could do a Tabiner getting back in there ASAP, especially with, with the Powell injury. So it's good to see some returnees. Hopefully it won't be too much longer before we see Tabiner. Hopefully it won't be too much longer after that, obviously long. Um, and then we can begin to get some players back in because fixtures are going to come thick and fast. Obviously, we've got Tuesday, Saturday. We then got Boxing Day and you've got three Christmas games over the space of six days. So if we can get a couple back before then, that'd be very helpful. Darren, I guess that gives you the goal. Um, a lovely ball for Mickey and a nice finish from Joe White after coming back on from his injury layoff. Yeah, I think you summed it up there. And I think it was a classic sort of Demetrio left-footed um, cross, wasn't it? And actually, um, Joe White did very well because he managed to get the uh, the wrong side or the right side from his point of view of the defender, even outside the box. Um, and he's he, he's able to, the ball goes over Nebit and then and then he's, he sort of strikes it home left-footed. And I really like Joe White's interview, actually, after the game with Graham McGarry. Graham McGarry's tweeted it out. Um, and he talks about how he persuaded... Dan, as he called him. I think that's uh, Dan Thorpe, the head physiotherapist, to uh, come back earlier than expected um, and make this game. And he said um, he seemed really determined to play uh, yesterday. And uh, he said, I'm definitely OK for Tuesday. I really like that. And I thought he did inject a little bit more energy, actually, um, when he came on um, overall. So he's, he's obviously been a really good plus point, hasn't he, over the last few weeks. Right, let's move on to the other game that was played on Saturday, inexplicably the same day as the first team and even weirder, the same time as Arsenal's first team were actually playing their game. Um, the Youth Cup down in Borehamwood, I believe it was played. Adam, I went to bed, my time, half-time, crew 1-0 up. I presume we're safely in the hat for the next round. That's what happened, yeah? I did. I messaged a couple of my Arsenal sporting friends at half-time, Uh with the uh, score and an image of the score. And at full time, they came back to me and asked me more genuinely, because I think they were watching, maybe watching the Aston Villa game at the time, what the final score was. I um, My phone seemed to have died. I don't think I've replied to them since since their message. Um, so obviously it did finish 7-1. Alex, this was probably a case of two trickier tasks for the for the young lads going up to a, you know one of the best teams in the Premier League and a scouting network that has scouted kids from all over the world to bring them to Arsenal up against some young lads from South Cheshire and the surrounding areas. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say it'd be a good experience for them, but because of where the game was, you know, at Borenwood, 
half five when Arsenal were playing, they probably didn't get the exposure they deserved when they got a cup tie like that, which probably didn't reward them for the efforts in winning the first two games. Um, it was a positive first 45 minutes. You go 1-0 up. But I think a couple of the kids, I had a look at the Arsenal team sheet. That Ethan Duaneri, who got five, he, he was playing in the first team, age 15. Um, so he's clearly a player. There's the Miles Skelly, something or another. He's another one which Arsenal fans are clamouring to get minutes in the first team. So they've got players on the cusp of playing Premier League football. It it was always going to be a long evening. It just turned into a chastening one, unfortunately. But if we get to the third round of the Cup every year in the Youth Cup, that's good progress. Um, it's a shame that the draw was when it was. I, I did eye up. If that 11 o'clock pitch inspection had gone one way, I was frantically looking how to then get back to London to get back up to Boreham Wood. Um but alas, the first team um, holds sway and I ended up staying in Grimsby. Uh, so, yeah, it's a shame. But hopefully they can continue to develop. I actually think the frustrating thing was if the youth team game wasn't when it was yesterday, you might have seen Callan just get some minutes in the first team. So I think that was even more frustrating that actually not only did the youth team get stuffed, but they crippled the first team at the same time by, by playing it when they did. Right, I think that will do it then for the Saturday games. Next, we'll turn our attention to the games coming up this week. But first, we'll hear from the women's team who were away at Salford on Sunday. Hi, Matt. Great result today. Um, how do you feel the girls performed? Um, we, uh, we've, we've just debriefed in the changing rooms then. We said that technically um, we weren't at our best today. We don't feel like we moved the ball anywhere near enough, um, quick enough. Uh, we we kind of run out of ideas. We kept trying the same thing with with limited success. Um, so so technically performance wise not great, um, but they're putting a hell of a shift and um, created a couple of chances and taken them. You know thinking back to to the last game against Tramia where we've dominated and, and, and ended up drawing the game late on. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the polar opposite where we probably didn't deserve where we didn't deserve to win that game. Yeah. And I think we probably would have been lucky to to draw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's based on just on our technical performance, not our efforts. Our efforts definitely deserve what we got. Yeah. Uh, you said you were under a lot of pressure through the throughout the game. Um, why do you think that was? Um, I think that they played wing backs and they, they they played it not great against us earlier in the season at our place. We dealt with it fine. Um, today they did they did it much better. They 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 played in tight spaces on one side of the pitch. And it was quickly shifted over and we just struggled to get over and stop them overloads causing us problems. Um, we saw them have a lot of the ball, but that didn't really materialise into to chances for them. You know, our back line was, was, was strong and resolute and we defended well, but they had far more of the ball. And, and the, the thing then is when they've got those overloads, that when possession is turned over and we do gain possession, we struggled on the tan- transition and they were around us really, really quickly, lots of bodies, and then we were panicked and then possession got turned over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they got some joy there and, and they've signed some new players, like lots of teams at our level and really mobile, really athletic and in our faces and aggressive in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, must feel really good to get that win on board um, with that being your first win in five games. Yeah, um, you know, we've done well in the Cup this year. It's it's a strange feeling because we're not losing too many games, but we're definitely not winning too many games. It just feels like we're drawing. I think I think the last five has been three draws, um, but but it does feel nice. And I think because teams the, the leagues it's it's a little bit different this year. I mean that that takes us up quite a few places. And the league table looks different again, um, but you've got to get them wins on the board. And 
You know, we said before the Tramier game that we were coming into a run of games where we knew we needed to hit some form. Last week, performance was there. We got a draw. Should have got a win. This week, performance wasn't there. Got a win. Um, so, yeah, it, it does It does feel great. It feels like a, a weight's been lifted off the shoulders because um, we've probably not had too much luck on the results side of things. And finally, the last game of 2023 sees you um, play at home against West Dids. What type of game do you see that being? Um, a, a good one, a competitive one. You know, they're, they're, they're physical. Like like I said, a lot of teams at this, this level have, have changed and it's a lot of change this year, which is good for women's football. Um, so, you know, new faces coming in all the time. Salford look very different than when we played them, you know, two months ago the, today. Um, so West Dids have had some great results. They've always been a hard-working team. You know, they're, they're run by a good guy and um, they'll be physical, they'll be uh, good in the air, um, but we feel like, you know, bringing them onto our pitch, that's that's our comfort zone, we train and play well there, um, we feel like we should be taking the game to them, but, you know, we, they'll, they'll, they'll be a, a real challenge, um, but we want to end the year on a high. Of course, well, we wish you the best of luck, thanks Matt. Cheers. Okay, Darren, we've got Bristol Rovers on Tuesday in the Cup. Uh, I feel like I've previewed this game about four times already now. Are we confident we're going to get a game on this week? And if so, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I hope we get a game on because I think it'd be good to bounce back from what happened on, on Saturday. Um, I, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a feeling it's going to be a, a draw, you know, and we're going to be going to Bristol on the, on, for another game before uh, before Christmas. Um they they had a draw I think yesterday at home to Cheltenham. Got a new manager, um, and uh, I'm hoping we can bounce back and um, maybe we're going to repeat the derby um, escapade and draw at home and see what we can do when we when we go down to Bristol a week later because I think it is scheduled for the 19th the replay. I think I read that somewhere. If it is drawn on Tuesday, correct it is. We could do without a replay though, couldn't we? Cool, we definitely could. I just got to just feel it might be. <clears throat> Could we not all just have a word with one another and say, let's get it decided on Tuesday night one way or the other, 90 minutes, extra time penalties if necessary, because this is the replay slot of a game that hasn't happened yet. So I just feel like sensible heads. If if it's good enough for the Premier League teams in the third round, it's got to be good enough for us uh, in round two. I don't disagree. And I don't think it'll be far off before changing it. But I don't know whether the, the lower league clubs... It's difficult, isn't it? Because if you get like, what was it? Paper, Cray, Valley, Mills, whatever they were, when they got the draw at Charlton, you know, getting that replay is massive for them. So to take that away, we would then be being the Premier League clubs who have done that to the lower league clubs, which I don't think is on. But in instances like this, you would like a modicum of common sense, isn't it? I'm sure Bristol Rovers don't want the additional game considering where they're at in the league. They probably want to focus on that. Um but I don't see. I don't. Well, I don't think clubs can just shake on it. Oh yeah, both clubs have agreed. But you never know. Maybe they will come away where if common sense prevails, that you are allowed to, if you have the agreement of both clubs, to settle it on the day. That can be done. I don't know. I, I have a bit of a different take on it. So Cray Valley, for example, against Charlton, they were never probably going to win the replay, but they had the momentum in the game that maybe they could have won on the day. So if it had gone to be extra time and penalties and was decided on the day, they might have had a cup upset that they'll remember. That they'll always remember. Whereas a draw isn't quite the same. Yeah, it's, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, aren't you? Mm. 
Okay, um, Alex, we had your thoughts last week. So Adam and Darren, uh, we know that if we do go through against Bristol Rovers, we're away at Norwich. So for you guys, is it a case of focusing on the league, getting bodies back into the squad, or going all out for the cup win and the reward being a championship away day? I'd go all out for in, in the cup on the grounds that, um, building on the point I made earlier, that sometimes I think an extra games is overdone. Um, you know, we've had a gap of 10 days and then performed really poorly. So it doesn't always follow that um, less games is more better performances. So I think I think we should try and win like we did against Derby. I, I live uh, about an hour away from Norwich, so I definitely hope we go all out and get a good Norwich tie. That'd be perfect for myself. But um, I think we also need to bounce back from the last couple of results. We really need to kind of keep this home form going. And if we were to lose 2 3 4 nil. To Bristol Rovers, I think we would be um, in a darker place come Saturday at three o'clock than we are if we get a positive result and positive performance. All right, sticking on that then, Adam, what is the score going to be Tuesday night? I think it might be the time we go out. Uh, it might be 2 1 to Bristol Rovers. Darren? 1 1. And Alex? 1 0 crew. Okay, a clean sweep of results there in terms of one for each. Uh, I didn't bother asking Charlie to return uh, because we spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. So we'll just go straight into Accrington Stanley uh, home game on Saturday. Um, We've sort of mentioned the Accrington Stanley game coming up already when we talk about Grimsby. What are the expectations going into this game? You know, they got relegated last year. They're in 10th place at the moment. Are we uh, hoping, well, obviously the answer is yes, that we're hoping to build on our home form. But Darren, what are you expecting in terms of an outcome here? I'm optimistic because I think I think the good things about what crew have done this season override the downside at Grimsby. So I think we will bounce back well. Accrington are on a bad run. Um, I think, I think um, since they won at Wimbledon in October, away from home. They've lost four out of the last six. The one they did win was at home to Wrexham, so that was obviously a good one. They drew with Doncaster yesterday. They got a couple of injuries yesterday to a couple of significant players. One of them looks like ligament damage. So I'm optimistic. I'm gonna I, I I'm optimistic. I think we'll do I think I think we'll win that game. Adam, are you as confident as Darren then? I mean that's some very good research into our pre match previews. Normally we say this is going to be a good game, isn't it? And then we move on. But that was uh, that was almost professional level there, Darren. Thank you. That's, uh, that beats my research. I know they're near the bottom of the form table, so I can add that into it to echo Darren's point. Um, I think it's key that we can we can drop points away to other teams. We can, but we need to win these home games. And if we can keep winning these home games, picking up the odd points away, we'll still be carrying this momentum forward. The, the real problem for us isn't if we lose away to Grimsby or we drew away to Sutton. It's if we don't beat the likes of Accrington at home and um, that's when that's when we'd be starting to um, look down the table and say that yeah because of the last two results if we want to have a season pushing the top three staying in the top seven you're going to have to win games at Accrington at home because you haven't given yourself the breathing space by only picking up a point at the bottom of the table Sutton and losing at 20 place Grimsby comes with the territory now so it's it's on the players and the, and the coaching staff to ensure that we get a positive result next Saturday but I'm confident so, we will. I think depending, you know, let's say we can keep Joe White fit, gives us another body in midfield, he should be able to take play a bit more. And our home form's been good this season. So long may it continue. Alex, is that the first use of the phrase must win on this season's podcast? No. I think it's right. I think I think if it's one of those that if you want to have a season where you're pushing the top seven, you need to win games like that. But I'm I'm 
at the start of the season, I'd have taken finish 15th. So the fact that we're in the top seven, this is a bonus as far as I'm concerned. So I'm just enjoying the ride. All right. What is the score going to be then, Alex? I think we'll win again. 2-1. I think we're going to win both our home games this week. Good week for Alex's uh, crew side this week. Darren? Yeah, I'm going for 2-1 as well. Adam? I'm more confident. 2-0. Perfect. There we go. A clean sweep in the other way this way. Uh, All wins. Okay, I spoke to Callum from the Raw Milk podcast about the Accrington Stanley season so far. Hi, Callum. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Good to to be back. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Um, So I'll start, if you don't mind, with last season. uh, A relegation for Accrington Stanley. Um, do you think the club is over that yet? And then what was the aim going into this new season in League Two? Yeah, it's a strange one, really, um, because, you know, since since Stanley Villa was formed in 1891, we've only ever had one relegation in 1999. So it's not something we're, we're used to, um, you know, on this side of the Pennines, really. Um, it was a strange one because with Accrington in League One, you always sort of knew we would get relegated eventually. You're always just a numbers game. You're going to get squeezed out. You can't keep competing with your Sheffield Wednesdays and your Ipswiches and your Derbys. Um, but I think the way we got relegated was quite you know, um, difficult to take because we just had a, had a horrific season. Uh, so many injuries, stupid red cards. You know, we played Derby at home and that 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 game encapsulated our season. We missed two penalties within a minute and then they broke to the run and scored. And just little, little things like that and... Even, you know, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? So even with two games to go, we still should have stayed up, really. We, we had Cambridge at home and we just didn't turn up. And then, you know, we're, we're already relegated. We go to Ox on the last day and win, which is which is Sod's law, really. Um, so it was always going to happen. Um, still disappointing. In terms of the ability to bury us back, it's been a strange one because a lot of key players left. Um, we haven't really signed anyone of note. So it's back to the John Cole formula of... Uh, you know, non-league gems and kids. So nobody really sort of knew how the season would go. And I, I'm a pessimist. So I, I always think every season, Accrington Stanley are in the league is a miracle, really, in the Football League. So I, I think uh, But we, we look a good side. We're a bit inconsistent. Uh, but, you know, Coley's done it again. And uh, I think we'll challenge for the playoffs. I think we're, we're, on our, we're not consistent enough. But we are a good side. So, like you say, we beat Wrexham the other week and then didn't turn up the following week. That's, that's, that's how the season's going to go, I think. I think we'll just fall short, um, but we'll certainly come top half, I think. Now, you've just spoke there a little bit uh, very quickly, positively, about John Coleman, the manager. Um, I follow League Two online, uh, you know, and I saw a couple of weeks ago a bit of a a set two between, well, it was just Andy Holt by himself, I think, on Twitter. And then later that week, he uh, turned up on the Prices Football podcast, said he was putting the club up for sale. He wasn't getting anything out of it. Uh, I think his main problem, and you all absolutely can correct me if I'm wrong here, was John Coleman and his assistant had said that they were well, his assistant had said that they weren't getting new contracts or they hadn't started talking about it. And Andy Holt's reaction to that was, "Well, you were relegated last year, so um, why should I be thinking about new contracts right now?" Is that right? Has that been resolved? What's going on with the manager and the chairman? Um, I think it's been somewhat resolved. Um... You know, the, the, the results have helped. So I think if we'd have been struggling this season, that would have really come to a head. Uh, but there's not much Andy Holt can say, really, because we're going quite well on the pitch. Um, yeah, it was a bit... 
you can see it from both sides, really. I mean, Jimmy Bell was sort of, you know, using the using the fans as leverage, really, because John John Coleman and Jimmy Bell are Accrington Stanley. You know, um, nobody's bigger than the club, obviously, but they 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 come quite close. And what they've done for the club and the town gives them a lot of leverage with the fan base. So I think Jimmy was sort of been a bit cheeky in using that to sort of force Andy Alt's hand. Um, and he's obviously responded the way he has. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a shrewd businessman. Doesn't like being sort of, uh, you know, um, is not the word, but it was it was a cheeky gambit by Jimmy Bell. Um, and I just think, you know, Andy Holt's been here since I think 2018. In those five years, we've had unbelievable success. So we've had the promotion. We came close the season, the first season he was there. We had five years in League One. So Andy's only ever known good times, really. And uh, if you're a businessman who's sort of successful in everything you do, I think the relegation hit him quite hard um, because, it, you know, I think he feels that it reflects on him slightly. But, uh, yeah, it's a strange one. Initially, I was in, I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, I was in team, team John and Jimmy initially. Uh, but having listened to Andy, I can see the other side of it. Um, I think as long as we have a good season, it will, it will settle. But uh, from all accounts, it's still a bit... That relationship's still a bit frosty, a bit touchy. Um, I think John wanted a bit more money to spend this year in terms of uh, bouncing back. And obviously, Andy's had to say, you know, well, we got relegated, so the budget has to be slashed. You know, bring the kids in. Um, they're a club, but, you know, 30 Sutton fans don't bring in the revenue that 2,500 Sheffield Wednesday fans do. So we're having to cut a lot of corners, I think. Um, but as long as we keep going well on the pitch, I think that will heal itself all the time. In terms of the sale... It's a tricky one because, you know, nobody, you're not, you're not going to make money at Accrington Stanley. You know, it's not, a, it's not a, you know, even if a shake took over, we're not, we're not going to be in the Premier League. Um, League One's probably the ceiling, unless you do a burst and take into the Championship for a few years. But uh, in terms of who'd want to buy it, um, you know, and what their, in, what their motivation would be, I'm not sure because we don't have a massive fan base anyway, so it's not going to come from somebody who's already a fan. You're going to get somebody like Andy again, who maybe pop, pops along and sort of you know falls in love with the place. Um, but he has been a good custodian, and if he wants to get out, I just think this saga leaves a bit of a sour taste. Um, if he wanted to get out, I think most people would say, "Well, you've done, you've done great. We've had five good years. Um, you, you've redeveloped the ground. We've had a good run on the pitch. You know, um, thank you, and you're always welcome back." But this just seems to be a bit, um, yeah, it's a strange one. And like you said, he's, he's come back on Twitter now and he's a lot more vocal again and he seems to be getting back into sort of the swing thing. So we'll see. It's almost as interesting as, as on the pitch goings on, really. But, uh, yeah, to, to answer, I don't think the relationship is what it was. Um, I think it's very much one of, you know, they'll tolerate each other as long as they keep doing the job and it keeps working out, really. Okay, let's move on to on-field matters then. Uh, I had a little look at the uh, Accrington Stanley stats this morning. Um, Tommy Lee, I think, is joint second top goal scorer and joint second top assister. Is he the danger man for Accrington Stanley or is that uh, putting other players down? Yeah, very much so. Tommy Lee is when Tommy Lee plays Accrington play. So there's been a few games this season where people have, you know, thought, is he downing tools? Does he want a bigger move? Um, I don't think that is the case. But... Yeah, certainly when he when he plays well, the team play well. Um, Josh Andrews up front has also been a bit of a revelation. You know, nobody really heard of him. Bit of a slow start. Uh, six foot four. You know, a danger man from 
from set pieces and can hold the ball up really well. Um, the big miss really is Sean McConville out with uh, out with an injury. Like you say, over 300 appearances. Again, Mr. Accrington Stanley, really. Um, and like you say, Steve used to get so many assists for us and used to take a lot of the set pieces. Uh, but yeah, Tommy Lee, yeah, if you were to mark one person out, I would say Tommy Lee. And if you were to pick one player you think, you know, we might struggle to hang on to in January, um, again, it would probably be Tommy Lee, yeah. Great, great lad as well, off the pitch. Okay, one last question before I get a score prediction. How is Kelvin Meller getting on this year? Uh, well, he's he's struggling. He's struggling. He's he's uh, yeah. I've seen milk turn quicker, as the old the old expression goes. He's uh, yeah. He's hopefully he pulls through. Seems a good lad. Seems a good professional. But uh, yeah, the last couple of weeks he's 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 been finding it difficult. I think. All right. Yeah. I, I love the reference to milk. You know, just to go along with your podcast name. Uh, you know, always got to get it in. Uh, Callum, what is the score going to be on Saturday? Yeah, typical Akrins and we could lose 6-0 or win 3-0. Uh, I'm going to go for 2-2 two, two each, 2-2. Two, two. Perfect. Callum, thank you so much for your time. Brilliant. Take care. All the best. Okay, for our final section of the podcast today, we are joined by Rob Dutton, who is a member of the Railway Men Supporters Group, and he sits on their committee. Hi, Rob. Thank you for jumping on with us today. Hi. Good to be on. Great to be on. Cheers. Not a problem. Um, there's quite a few things that we want to discuss with you about what's going on with the club and the supporters group and everything. But I think the best place to start is uh, a week on Friday, the home game against Barrow. £10 tickets, free for kids. Um, it's some deal the club's come up with, isn't it? Yeah, it's excellent. And um, I think throughout the season, rightly, ticket pricing has been a hot topic of discussion. Uh, amongst the fan base and certainly amongst ourselves on the railway men. Um, so for the club to come up with this promotion, I think they deserve a lot of credit for it. Um, we spoke with the club and tried to um, try and get a promotion on for one of the FA Cup games. I think it's well documented um, amongst the fan base that we tried to do that. Um, fortunately, we couldn't on that occasion, but we're delighted that the club have uh, looked to do this for the uh, Friday night game with Barrett. So, I mean, my main thing is, um, you know, crew fans are aware of this. Um, you know, crew fans will have seen on social media. They'll have, you know, followed the club on Twitter or friends will have told them at games. What is being done in terms of making people in the, the broader area of crew South Cheshire aware that there is League Two football by two very good League Two sides being played on Friday night and it's only a tenner to come in? Yeah, so I am aware that the club have been working alongside the local schools uh, across Crew and Nantwich. I know they've been into schools last week uh, and they also will be in the coming week as well, uh, trying to get that information out to as many people in the community as possible. Um, I think the work the club had done to reach out to uh, fans of, or potential fans, if you like, of different nationalities as well this week, and I think that's been great and really well received as well. Um, I know there will also be a campaign, there's a lot of sort of some posters being uh, printed as we speak by the club, which will be sort of leaflet drops, poster drops uh, throughout sort of crew, Nantwich and the surrounding areas um, over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, social media is a big one as well. Um, you know, big thanks to a number of the players as well who've engaged with that. Um, and we just encourage that any supporter out there as well to play their part in that, you know, so especially nowadays, it's never been easier with social media. So we'd encourage every single fan out there to do their bit, share the post, encourage the fans in. Um, I think as you're probably aware, we're running two campaigns now 
subsequently, there's the 8,000 fans uh, campaign, get 8K in, which, yeah, is ambitious. Don't get us wrong. Um, if we can get as close to that as possible, it'll be a success. And also the Fill the Bresty Road End campaign. Um, and let's give the lads, you know, the, the backing that, you know, I think the performances this season certainly deserve. You're obviously working closely with the club. Is there more uh, in the pipeline to incentivise people to get to grounds or any other offers that are going to make the football club more attractive? Just to jump in there, Rob, before you get a chance to answer, what Alex is hoping is that someone's listened to him last week on the podcast, <laughs> heard him talk about half-price season tickets. You could announce that and then he can take all the credit. That's what he's hoping for right now. Yeah, for, fortunately, I can't uh, can't bring that sort of announcement. But I know in terms of the actual Barrow game, uh, there are going to be some further announcements, I believe, in the next week or so, building up to the game in terms of trying to enhance the whole match day experience. So things going on before the game, after the game as well, uh, to try and get more people at the ground earlier and potentially stay later as well. Um, from what I'm hearing on that, that should be really quite good and a bit different as well. Um, and I also feel, you know, it's one of those nights where let's use it as a starting point. If we only get a few hundred more fans through the gate, which looking at the sales already, I don't think will happen, but, you know, are the club going to do it again? So let's back it, the numbers we can, get the numbers through the gate, build the atmosphere, and then it sort of puts the emphasis to say, right, can we do this again at some point? I think as well, one of the smartest things about this is that kids are free, um, because we've talked about it before on this podcast, the fact that you don't become a crew fan at 35 you become a crew fan at five when you get taken by your parents or your grandparents or your neighbor, whoever takes you. And you realize that going to watch this football team is magic and you want to do it every week that you can. Uh, so by taking a uh, price away for kids for one game, hopefully that's going to have the incentive that in January, the new year, mum, can I go and watch crew? Can we go and watch crew on Saturday? And that sort of builds that beginning of the relationship between the fan and the club that we all know about. Yeah, I think one thing that's gone, I think always a little bit under the radar the last few years is the um, free under-11 season tickets with an adult season ticket. I think that helps massively as well. Uh, but in terms of this particular game, yeah, that's massive. You know, it's a case of kids can say, you know, bring your friends, bring a couple of mates, you know, get get them all down there. Um, and it helps the fact that they're going to be, hopefully, you know, watching a good attacking game of football, or two teams going at it, you know, a crew side, which is, hopefully going to, you know, as you say, make them fall in love with the Alex. Uh, as we know, it probably doesn't always uh, end quite as uh, positive as that, does it, watching the Alex? But, you know, at least they'll fall in love with it, um, watching things, you know, as we are playing this season, you know, it's, it'd be great for them to, to come down, see that, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we can retain some of those fans going into the second half of the season, whether new fans or returning fans, um, you know, really sort of build on this promotion push with a good fan base for the second half of the season. So I think whilst we're talking about the youth fans, uh, it probably segues us in nicely to uh, the second thing I want to talk about, and that is the Gresty Road end and the uh, police announcement that came out in the uh, earlier in the season. Um, myself and quite a few people on the podcast have spoken out about how bad that was as a decision. Um, I know you guys have been working with the police, with the supporters group, uh, to get that reversed or changed or adapted, whatever it is. What's the latest with that going on at the moment? Yeah, so as a supporters group, we've now had um, I think it's four or five meetings with with Cheshire Police now um, in regards to the ongoing policing, really, not just in regards to um, the actual ban on the Bresty Road and uh, it was reversed, mm -hmm. but just in terms of, in general, the, the match day policing operations. And there's been a, a number of incidents this season which 
we've been concerned about and a number of fans and members have raised concerns about also and, and rightly so. Um, so we've met a couple of times with, um, like I say, Cheshire Police, they hold meetings every couple of months now for a number of clubs to attend. Um, so we've attended those. There's with Claire Jessen, who's quite heavily involved in match day operations at, at, at the Alex um, for the police side of things. And also Mark Roberts, um, who's you know quite key to this really, as he's also um, head of the UK Policing Football Unit. So you know, I think it's we can understand to an extent why you know, especially Mark's keen not to have any incidents on, on his patch, if you like, um, with, you know, obviously he doesn't want anything in on his patch with being the head of, you know, UK football policing. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's been a number of incidents, particularly after the Derby FA Cup game um, and also just in general, some of the operations post-game particularly um, in and around sort of Gressy Road, South Street and towards the railway station, which we feel that fans need, deserve answers on. Um, and also, you know, we look at it in the wider context of, of football and sort of feel that, you know, Crew Alexandra, if we're honest, you know, look at we're not renowned for fan trouble. We've not had a history of this. It seems to have come out of the blue a little bit, the treatment. That's not to say that every fan, you know, we've got is, you know, innocent. You know, it's not to say that nothing's ever happened at the ground, etc. Um, but at the same time, it does seem over the top. So we're looking to engage with the police best we can to try and sort of get some answers and to, if you like, try and get them to, if you like, back down slightly on some of the operations. I, I think it's welco very welcoming, Rob, in terms of the engagement. I wrote an article and it was around the fact that I would have been lost as a crew fan if, if the ban was in place. The only way I could have gone to the game was with, um, with friends. I didn't have family who could take me. I wouldn't have had interest in sitting in the main stand as I do today. I wanted to be behind the goal where the fun was taking place. And I'm all for um, banning orders at the right time. So if you throw an object onto the pitch, if you say something you shouldn't say, if you encroach onto the pitch, all of these things should have consequences with them. But as a blanket ban, it felt like an unfair um, mechanism and also something which was just going to put off people being crew fans in the future and just going to reduce our future numbers. So it's really good the work that you've done, Rob, in terms of to try and help reverse that ban. Yeah, no, I fully, I fully agree as well. I feel like, as you say, both with the Gresty Road ban and also just in general, some of the, the operations around the ground feels like every fan is being treated as if they've they've done something wrong, which is, as you say, is not the case. Um, I mean, it was the it was welcome that obviously the ban got overturned on the Gresty Road end, but should that have been in place in the first place is, is, is the question. And, you know, what, why did it get to the point where that that was put in place? I think it's a, a question that a lot of fans are still asking, and, and rightly so. Um, well, one other point to note on that is we are also we are meeting next week with the Football Supporters Association representative um, as well. Um, so these sort of issues and topics will be raised with them as well to get their viewpoint on that as well. Um, and we are also hoping um, in the next couple of weeks to release a uh, to our members a supporter survey. With a lot of that basically being a going around the match day experience. So, you know, it'll be pre-match, post-match, um, and part of that will be stewarding and policing. Um, because we want to get sort of the feedback from the fans on exactly how they feel about that. So then we can sort of act on their um, responses moving forward as well. I think it's good that Rob, that you're in that dialogue with the club. I mean, it's not it's not a lot, it's not something that I know an awful lot about, but you mentioned the police operations around the ground and I I was struck by the fact that it looked to me 
at the start of the season that the police were going to close off that road where the um, away supporters cape, which is Park, which for nearly every game, which was out of kilter with what's happened in previous years. I did talk to one of the police officers once when I was on the way out of the ground and he was talking about intelligence and perhaps somebody out there different in charge, etc. But as I say, it's not something that I know the, the nuances about, but it, it didn't strike me as necessarily a good idea to get everybody walking up that other road and then turning right down to the station. Um, but as I say, I don't, I don't know what's going on uh, behind the scenes, but it's really good that there's a dialogue and we're trying to reach a kind of sensible way forward, I think. Yeah, and I think um, especially with road closures, things like that, you know, it needs to be better communicated to fans as well. You know, if there is a genuine concern for a fixture and the police and the football club feel that that is what's required, that's fine. But, you know, we need proper communication to explain the reasonings to to the fans. Um, I think, you know, most fans, you know, are quite, you know, reasonable people. You know, if there was a, a genuine safety concern, we'd, we'd accept that. But as you say, to go down that route for... Um, sort of, it was at the time every game it was kind of being um, put to, and it has been for a lot of games this season. Again, you know, it seems it does seem a bit of a, an overkill, really, on that. Do you work closely with any other clubs? Because I'm just wondering whether it's commensurate the treatment we're getting as to what other clubs of a similar size would see. Because I was struck by the policing operation when I went there this year; it just seemed very OTT. I mean, the shutting down of the Gresty Road end for the for the kids, uh, for teenagers also seemed to be ATT and sort of out of kilter with what we might see with other clubs. But I don't know, do other clubs seem to have the same problem as us? And do you work with them to understand how they manage the situation? So I know we, um, some other committee members, they've been at the meetings with the Cheshire Police, there's other clubs invited to those. Now, obviously, we're, if you like, the bigger club in Cheshire um, in regards to the other clubs at those meetings. So it's not really sort of a probably a level comparison if you like um, but I also know there has been some talk via the FSA as well um, so they've sort of spoke to us and then they'll they'll follow on from the meeting this week they normally reach out to other clubs to say you know about similar experiences they're kind of like the link on that for us which is much appreciated because um, as you say from you know someone like yourself Alex you know go quite a few away games as well um, across you know watching Alex it seems a bit you don't seem to get this level of operation across the league, even at some of the, if you like, bigger clubs in the league, um, really. So, you know, bigger fan bases, if you like. So, yeah, it does seem out of proportion. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the kind of frustration questions are coming from. You know, if if there was genuine, we've seen a disorder on, you know, week, week in, week out, fair enough, something needs to be done. But are we seeing that? Not really. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I fully agree that, you know, going out to other clubs, engaging in conversation with them would definitely be a, a way forward as well. Okay, I'm going to move the conversation on to our next point. But just before we do, I'm just going to echo what uh, the guys have just said there. Uh, I think it's really good to, uh, it's really good to have had you on to explain that because I don't go to home games, you know, I don't live in England at the moment. Um, and just listening to that and seeing the videos this year, it does look like the police have been un- unnecessarily antagonistic. And I think, you know, with that comes the chance of a reaction. I think, you know, having sensible conversations with them, uh, I just, hopefully it will be resolved because you know, when I was going every single week, I just used to walk up Gresty Road, sort of weave my way through the away fans and make my way to the train station to take me home. And there was literally never any trouble any time I ever went and it didn't matter who we were playing. You might have the occasional away fans say the occasional word, but that would be the extent of it. So I just don't really understand where that's come from. But yeah, really good hearing that, Rob. Um, the next thing I want to move on to is the AGM for the supporters group. I believe it's coming up soon. 
Um, and I'm hoping for, well, you know, hopefully there is a bit more engagement from uh, fans this year, members of the supporters group in terms of getting involved with that. What's happening there? Yeah, so um, as of today, um, information will be sent out to um, supporters, members, um, in regards to the upcoming AGM, which will take place at the end of January. Um, really what we're looking for this time is we are trying to, look to encourage people to engage in the AGM um, in terms of whether that's election of... Uh, you know, election of committee through the nomination forms uh, and also through actually voting um, for, for committee members. So um, at the last AGM, we were disappointed and, you know, it's fair to say in regards to the uh, turnout. Um, so we're just saying to people, you know, this time, can we try and encourage as many people to, to vote and have their say? You know, I think it's fair to say that over um, the past, especially six to 12 months, um, there's been a lot of conversation about what exactly are is the supporters group doing um you know exactly who we are what we stand for what we're doing so for me i'd say to people you know get involved with that you know um come and speak to us put yourself forward um you know and you know we're open for you know new people to get involved if they want to you know we, we want to develop expand um you know the the support society so by all means please engage with with the agm um and you know let's get get people talking really I don't know if you'll be able to answer this then, but um, I don't have a full share when the opportunity to buy Norman Hassle, Norman Hassle out came about. Uh, my brother and I and a couple of other people went in together. Uh, it's in my brother's name. What can I do to get involved if anyone's listening to this and wants to know the answer to the same question? So, yeah, there'll be some information released um, as well um, in regards to um, how you can join as a member. So you could effectively join separate to you've got the share in your name but the other three could effectively join them and um, there'll be a one-off um payment and um, i believe it's 10 pound but that will be confirmed um, and that'll be that'll get you your you know your voting rights at the agm and future um you know correspondence as well okay and rob finally the last one um ben uh ben benson uh who's vice chairman i believe with the the committee um, he's been very good, or not just him, obviously other people, but in promoting the food bank that you guys are doing. Um, that was obviously had to be cancelled after the postponement. Can we get an update on when that next one's going to be? Yep. So that'll take place now for the Atkinson Stanley game on the 16th. And so uh, Ben and the team have been, you know, excellent really at, at promoting and, and hosting the uh, the food bank. Uh, they'll be outside the, the club shop ticket office that point there um, from one o'clock till two forty five. Um, so yeah, they'll be there taking donations um, as they have previously. Um, and once again, you know, we'd just like to one encourage anyone to who can donate to the food bank, please do. Um, it's hugely appreciated. And secondly, just say a massive thank you to everyone who, who has previously and no doubt will do um, again this time around. Okay, I think that will probably do us for this week. Then, um, Alex, Darren, Adam, and Rob, thank you for coming on today. Cheers, thank you, thank you for having us. Cheers, thank you. Thank you, as ever, for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.